Amen. Well, it's a, it's a joy to be with you this evening and uh, to share with you in the Word uh, over these next few sessions. And I'm going to get right into it. I'll make more of an introduction tomorrow. So let's begin by reading in 2 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And um, back in Sun Valley where I fellowship, we've been studying Thessalonians on Sunday mornings. And uh, we have come up to verse 23 and um, I've been blessed and others have been helped by our study on uh, verse 23. And so... um, I propose to the brethren here that we share along those same lines. So uh, let's just read that and then I'll introduce the subject. So let's read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so verse 23 says that he, uh, he's praying or that, that the God of peace may sanctify them completely and that they hold, their whole spirit, soul and body may be preserved blameless on that day. And so you find those three terms, spirit, soul, and body. And that's what I want to share with you over these next four sessions. Uh, Now, uh, let me warn you that it is technical. It is uh, a little complicated for some folk. Uh, Other folk find it easy. Um, So stick with me. We'll uh, we'll recap again tomorrow night if you miss something. We'll also answer questions at the end if we have enough time. Um, I think we have to be out of here by midnight or something, I think. Um, so, um, and then, and then the, the, this, the series is available on YouTube. So if, you, uh, if you're struggling and you want to catch up uh, tomorrow, then you can go to YouTube and the four sessions are there. Uh, the ones that we did in Sun Valley, they'll obviously be a little bit different, but we'll be going through the same, the same uh, texts and verses. And... Um, so if you just search for Sun Valley Community Church or for Anton Bosch, you'll find uh, Sun Valley has a, uh, uh, a channel, a YouTube channel, and you'll find the four sessions there. All right, so um, we're, we're going to begin then by saying that Paul is saying that the complete man is made up of those three parts. So you, if you look at the text, he says that, he, uh, that the God of peace may sanctify you, cleanse you, Make you holy completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So, the complete man, according to this verse, is the spirit, the soul, and the body. And those three components are what make up the human being. And uh, we're going to explore that, and, and, and the plan is basically that for the next two sessions, so tonight and the first one tomorrow, we, we'll look at these three components. Uh, what is the, the spirit, soul, and body, and I'm going to begin from the outside. You'll see that, that this one begins from the inside, uh, from the spirit through the soul to the body, um, but we'll tackle it from the other way, from the body to the soul to the spirit. So the first two sessions we're going to deal with how this all fits together and works, um, but the purpose is not for us to be filled with knowledge um, 
about these things and, and have a technical understanding. The purpose is that we may be equipped for every good work. Uh, the, the Word of God is given to us uh, and is, is good for doctrine, but it is specifically to equip us that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Lord Jesus in the Great Commission said, Go into all the world and uh, make disciples, teaching them, not theology, but teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so the purpose of the teaching is not to fill your head with all sorts of technical knowledge. But I hope that in this last two sessions we'll be able to apply this and what we're going to do, Lord willing, is go through a number of scriptures in detail um, and look at them step by step and see how this plays out in scripture. And, and I trust that that exercise will help us uh, to understand some of the stuff that happens and that is going on with, within us. So, the, and I'm very grateful for Sean to, for uh, figuring out the board and finding the, the pens. Now, our, our next challenge is that when I write on the board, I write in Greek. So, uh, if you can't read what I'm writing, uh, that's why. Uh, oh, good. So, we, we normally draw this in this way, so that they are three concentric circles, and we say there is the body, the soul, and the spirit. Now, we find those in different places in the New Testament, so not just in Thessalonians, but if we go right back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll find that when God makes man, and I think we know the verse by, off by heart, but I'm going to turn there anyhow. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Um, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Now, wh while you uh, try and find Genesis, it's a difficult book to find. Um, <laughs> But while you, while you find that, let me, let me just say to you, in case you have heard that man does not consist of three parts, but of two parts. Um, there are many theologians who believe that. And uh, in fact, if you watch the, the uh, YouTube, you'll see that I referred to ten uh, commentators that I uh, consulted. Uh, but after that, I consulted many more. And I did some research and um, I don't remember the full number, but I looked at about 24 uh, different theologians and commentators, and they're roughly split down the middle. So the first, um, the first eight or ten that I looked at, that happens to be the books on my desk, uh, the majority said man only has two parts. Um, and that's because, uh, well, let me, I won't get into the reason why. Uh, but when I looked at it more closely, I found that, in fact, it split more, more evenly. And it's, it's basically split along Calvinist and non-Calvinist lines. That's really what it is. Now, those who say that man consists only of two parts, only a physical, a body, and a spiritual part, um, I'm not sure how they, where they get that from. But I must assume, because it's, it's, it tends to be the more modern theologians who believe that, that this finds its base in psychology. And psychologists don't recognize three parts, because obviously psychologists can't deal with the spiritual. Uh, they can only deal with the soul, and uh, the psychiatrists deal with the soul and the body. 
Um, just by the way, it's the difference between those two. And so I, I assume that that's really where the influence comes from. But as, you can, as we'll see, uh, the scripture is very clear that there, in fact there are three parts. So in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created him. Them. And so God creates man in his own image. Now there's a lot of aspects to the image of God. But one of the aspects of the image of God is that God is a, uh, to use a technical term, a tripartite, a three-part being. And that's a, a, now, now, remember as we go through this discussion uh, tonight and tomorrow night, uh, that these terms are very difficult because they can easily be misunderstood or misinterpreted. But God is three and yet he is one. And that's, of course, a mystery that's difficult for us to understand. How can he simultaneously be three and one at the same time? But that is, the, that is who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three are one. The, each one is God within his own, within his own right. Uh, and yet together they are God, but they are not three gods. All right, so God makes man in his own image, and I believe that one of those aspects of the image that God makes, or that God makes us in his image, is that we consist of three parts. But remember that these images are very, um, uh, very difficult, because we are not the same as God in that sense, that uh, we, we can't, uh, our, our, we, our bodies cannot function on its own, whereas clearly you see in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus uh, has his own ministry, the Holy Spirit has his ministry, the Father has his work, and so they, they operate together, but they, 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 they are separate in a sense. Now, we, we are not in that way. We, we are uh, far more uh, cohesive in a sense. Um, and so remember then that the, 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 the picture goes, has very, very real limitations. And so God makes us in his image. Now, if you go further down in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So God makes man out of the dust. What part did he make out of the dust? The body. So he makes the body out of the dust of the earth. But then he breathed into him the breath of life. Now, the word there is not the word that is used in chapter 6 verse 5, I think. If you go down to, sorry, chapter 6 verse 17. Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. The breath of life. The word there for breath of life is the word in Hebrew, ruach. Or in Greek, pneuma. Now, the word ruach means breath or wind or spirit. It's translated in those three different terms. The word pneuma is translated spirit in the New Testament. But it's also wind. So we have, um, if you have a, a workshop, you may have pneumatic tools. Pneumatic tools. They are driven by air, by wind. 
And so the Spirit then, so God breathes His Spirit into man, and man becomes... Now here we have a problem with the translations again. The New King James says a living being. The Old King James, and I don't particularly like the Old King James, but sometimes it's better than the New King James. The Old King James is better because he says man became a living soul. A living soul, the Greek word nephesh. And so God breathes into his... So, so, so there's the body. God puts his spirit in. When his spirit comes in, man becomes a living soul. So immediately you can see that the spirit part is the God part. Now I'm not going to go any further with that this evening. We'll explore that uh, probably tomorrow night. And, but the, the, the spirit of God is that which gives life. To man, until that spirit went into man, he did not have life, and then man becomes a living soul. Now, if you uh, think of at the, uh, about the cross, now again, remember that it's very difficult to compare ourselves to God uh, or even to the Lord Jesus Christ, because remember, Jesus was different to us in a sense that he was both God and man, and yet when he dies on the cross, he does not die as God. God cannot die. God is eternal. So it's the man, Christ Jesus, who dies on the cross. Now just remember what happened. So when Jesus died, what happened to his body? They put it in the tomb. They wrapped it up and embalmed it and they put it in the tomb. But then Jesus says to the thief on the cross, what? Today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Remember, paradise is Hades, or the place where the, uh, the, the uh, believers and the unbelievers went to Abraham's bosom, two parts, remember, part for the saved, part for the lost, just to uh, make it very simple. And so, what part of Jesus then went into Hades, or into Abraham's bosom? C certainly not his body, but it's, it's his soul. Now, now, let me just explain very quickly before we uh, get too confused. The soul is really the real me inside. Uh, it's, it's the part that is conscious, that thinks and that feels, has emotions and memories and those kinds of things. It's the, really, it's the me who lives inside of the, of the body. And so Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today, together, we're going to go into Hades. But then Jesus said something else about his spirit. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So he, the spirit, and the book of Ecclesiastes says, the spirit returns to God who gave it. The spirit returns to God who gave it. And so the spirit of the Lord Jesus, and remember the, the picture is very limited because of his divinity, but his, the spirit of the Lord Jesus goes to the Father. His soul goes into Hades, and his body goes into the grave. There you can see that separation. And I believe that the same applies to us. And obviously, we no longer go into Hades, but absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the Spirit belongs to God. And so the Spirit, as much as the Spirit then was that which gave life to Adam in the first place. When God put His Spirit into Adam, Adam became a living soul or a living being. When God withdraws His Spirit, then man dies. And we're going to explain the dying uh, in, in a moment. All right, now there's a, there's a third picture. I want to keep this 
and I'm glad for this fancy board. There's a third picture that I want to share with you that illustrates this, and that is in the tabernacle. And you remember that the tabernacle was made up of how many parts? Three. Three parts. Three parts. There was the outer court, and of course in here was the... Um, the ark, uh, sorry, the, the altar of sacrifice and the laver. And then there was the tabernacle proper, made up of two parts. And in here you had the holy place, and in the deep recesses was the holy of holies. This is the part that was visible to the world. The world could see, and the Israel could see the outside, but they couldn't see the inside. And so this is the equivalent of the body. And there, there's a lot of teaching that flows from that, but I'm not going to explore that. The holy place is where they worshipped, where the priests went in to worship. There was some worship going on in here, but most of the worship was in the holy place. And so this is the equivalent of the soul. And then the holiest of all is where God dwelt. That's where God manifested His presence. Now, if you remember the picture on the back, which I'm going to bring back in a moment, the, the Spirit is the God part. That is where God dwells. And I know you're going to ask me, what about the unsaved? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. And so that's where God dwells. It is in the holy place that we meet uh, as a church. Uh, remember that this is also a picture of the, of the church. Uh, the church consists of... The preaching of the gospel, the Bible studies, or the preaching or the teaching of the word, the washing of the water of the word, exactly. The holy place had the three components, the lampstand on the left-hand side here, the, the menorah, and that speaks to me of fellowship. Remember in Acts 2.42, they continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers. As we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all unrighteousness. In front of the veil here was the altar of incense. Incense representing prayer. And then on the right hand side was the altar of or the, uh, the, um, the, the um, showbread, the table of showbread. And of course that is the breaking of bread, the communion. So you have fellowship, prayer and communion. The Bible study, and that, and that is where the church meets. We don't do those things with the unbelievers. We don't pray with them. We don't fellowship with them in that sense. Uh, we, don't, um, uh, we don't have communion with them. But we preach the gospel out here, out here, and we teach the Word of God in the more public space so that they can hear the Word of God. And then, of course, there is the holiest of all where God dwells. Now remember in the New Testament then, that veil is removed and we now have direct access into the very presence of God. So, so there's that picture. So let's go back to, to this one here. So let's talk about the, uh, about the body. Now... <clears throat> The body is not me. This is the, the era of modern thinking. Uh, if you go to the gym, you'll see people there 
and you see young people with uh, because it's all about the body but the body is just a tent it's a tabernacle so it's a tent in which I dwell there is no real value as such in the in the body but obviously we want to keep the tent in good repair. We don't want the uh, tent to be leaking uh, because it's, does, it's not nice to live in a leaking uh, house with a leaking roof. So, so we keep it in good repair, but we don't worship it. Uh, the t- the, but we must also remember that the body is, um, is not evil of itself. The Greeks believed that the body was bad, was evil. Uh, that anything that was spirit was good, everything that was body was bad. And for that reason, they could not accept that Jesus came in the flesh. And remember that John writes, and he says, anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is none of his. And he's, ad- he's addressing this Greek idea that said, well, because the flesh is bad, Jesus couldn't, God cannot come into a human form. Um, and so they denied his incarnation in that, in that sense. Um, and, and they did many other things. And, and there, are, there are Christians too uh, who, who go the ascetic route or the stoic route. And, and really what those philosophies have to do is the destruction of the body. Because the body is bad and no good. And so I need to sit there. One guy sat on a pole for years. Built a little platform, sat up on the pole there in the wind and in the rain. And uh, that's where he lived because he needs, to, uh, he needs to destroy the body. Because the body is bad. Um, you find the same idea in Catholicism where they, uh, they, they hit themselves and they crucify themselves and they go through all of these things. It's the same idea. The body is bad, therefore the body needs to be destroyed. Now the body is not good or bad. And this is a very important point which we'll see as we go along. The body is not good or bad. The body is, um, is like many other things in this life. It's like the, it's like the internet or the television. And so what's the connection between the internet and the body? Well, all of these things are what we call amoral. They are not bad or good. It's what you do with them that makes them good or bad. And so you can use the internet to preach the gospel or to teach sound teaching, but you can also use the internet to spread all sorts of immorality and all sorts of other things. And the same with the television. And so the body is not good or bad in and of itself. The, the body is, is really under control of the spirit. There's a sense in which these two things work together, and we'll talk about that. But, but really, it's, it's, it's what I do with my body that determines whether the body is good or bad. If I use my body to sin, well then, that's bad. But I can also use my body to serve God and to worship Him and to do this, the things that he wants me to do. And then the body becomes a useful tool to be able to serve God. Um, now, many Christians don't quite get this, because they say, well, you know, I, I can't come to church on Sunday, but I'll be there in spirit. Um, uh, no, you, you, you need to bring your body here. Um, you, you need to worship, and, and we don't want to overemphasize physical forms of worship. But I do worship with my lips and with my voice um, and I worship with my attitude and so and so the body can be can be good or bad depending on how we use it now the, uh, also we must remember that that while the body is really not the highest part of me um, it is it is it is it has value when we die the body 
just dies. And, and we must remember, you know, the, here's one of the things that, that is so important concerning the body, is that when we die, it's just a, a sack of, of meat and food for the worms. That's all it is. It, it has, it has no, there's nothing, and, and yet we know how people go on at funerals and they, you know, and they, they, they reverence the body and the body is so important and, and people keep going back to the grave because, you know, so-and-so, you know, is, is, is in the grave. And we know there, there are some of these crazy charismatic modern preachers uh, who go to the graves of people like Amy Semple McPherson and uh, Catherine Kuhlman and they go and lie on the grave because apparently the power of God is coming out of those bones. No, it's nonsense. The worms have eaten it up and it's, 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 it's decayed. It's just, it's just rotten. There's nothing in there that, that is of any value. But at the same time, on the day of the resurrection, God will raise this body. And David prophesying really of the Lord Jesus that he will not leave my soul and my body in the grave. And so in my flesh I will see the Lord. And so God is going to raise this body. Now remember, there's a, there's a, a false teaching, particularly by Jehovah's Witnesses, but some Christians also, uh, that, that speaks about the fact that God will recreate our bodies uh, out of his memory. So it's not the same body, but it's another body which he now creates in, you know, for, the etern for, for eternity. No, the scripture is very clear that this body is going to be raised. And, and somehow God is going to miraculously uh, get it back from the worms and the sharks that ate the bodies in the sea and uh, wherever it went, we don't know where all those... But God is able to bring that together and reconstitute the body to ra and raise it and change it uh, so that it would be glorious uh, and a resurrection body. So the body is not... Uh, as negative as we make it, but at the same time we want, don't want to get too, too involved in, in worshipping the body. Now, important part of the body, uh, sorry, now, while we speak about the body, I need to put these other words down here too, carnal, and we're going to explore that term as we go along. <coughs> carnal means fleshly, and there's another important word, flesh or fleshly. Now, in California, the word carnal is easy. People understand that word because they speak Spanish. And they have the word carne, which means meat. So you go to the butcher shop and you buy carne. And it is flesh. It is meat. And so we speak, Paul speaks about Christians who are carnal. And we'll, we'll explain that term, but it has to do with the body. And we have the idea of being fleshly or even earthly. Now, that's a different term, uh, but that connects there. Now, when we look at the body, I'm going to take these down because we have, need the space here. The important thing about the body is the five senses. The five senses. And you say, well, you know, what does this got to do with anything? I trust we'll see as we... So just, just hold on and we'll, we'll, we'll get there. All right. So the five senses are hearing... Seeing, smell, touch, and what else? Hmm? Taste. Sorry, I'm I'm not a, I'm not awake to that. And then, of course, some people have a sixth sense. <laughs> no, there, there's no sixth sense. There's only five. And so, 
the importance of the, of the um, census is that that is how the me communicates with the world outside and how the world communicates with me. There is no other means of communication. We don't have telepathy. Well, some people claim to have it, but we, we don't really. Uh, so, so we can't come together, and, and uh, I, 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 staying with Werner and, um, and Ella is a, is a great privilege. But, you know, we can't just sit there and look at each other and transmit ideas. We, we actually have to speak. I, I have to speak, and I, I don't like speaking very much. You won't believe it, but I don't. Um, but, but I have to speak, and he has to listen. And then he speaks, and I listen. And that's how we transmit ideas. Now, all of the information we have, everything that we know in this life comes through those senses. There's no other way. So everything that is good comes through there, and everything that is bad comes through there. Now remember, when it comes to the devil, I don't believe that the devil has access directly to my soul or spirit. The only access he has is through these things. But he uses them and manipulates them very well to plant ideas in my mind. And so the importance here then clearly is that I need to guard the senses because they are the gate or the gateway to my soul. And whatever comes in through those senses changes who I am. And what comes in through the senses always sticks. It always sticks. Now what I mean by that is nothing that you see or hear, and obviously these are the two most important ones here, and I'm going to focus on these. Nothing you see or hear just goes away. Now some of us are very good at forgetting things. But we, we have forgotten them in the conscious, conscious, conscious part. But they're still there. And they add up. And so we, we say, well, you know, it doesn't matter if you go and see bad things or you read bad books, you know, whether they be immoral or whether they be a bad doctrine. You know, you, you can just read those things. But every one of those ideas that you have taken in through your eyes or through your ears, finds a lodging place in your mind. And the problem is that they add up. And so you, you, so you read a bad idea. Bad idea says, um, there is no hell. Just an example. I say, I, I don't believe that. But then you read another book and it says, there is no hell. And then you read it and you watch a movie. It says there's no hell. And you, you listen to a preacher. He says there's no hell. Slowly but surely, these things are changing our minds and shaping our thinking. And then one day we wake up and we say, yeah, I don't believe there's a hell. Where did that come from? No, it was a long, slow process over many, many years sometimes. And so nothing that we read or see or hear leaves us unaffected. We cannot, and folks, this is, this is very serious, we cannot allow stuff into our minds 
and think that we will filter it out in our minds and somehow deal with it. We are not very good at doing that. Those things stick and they come back years and years later. The same is true of good things. And so if you're struggling with these concepts that I'm sharing with you tonight, don't worry too much about it. Try and grab hold of them and try and watch the, the, the video if you can. But in due course, God will bring to our remembrance, the scripture says, the things we have learned. Now many years ago, like five years ago when I was 18, I, uh, I went to a conference. Uh, my pastor took me along to a pastor's conference in South Africa and uh, it, it was a great privilege to be there with all these great men of God and you know, they were talking about things that I didn't have a clue about. And I remember going outside and crying one night and saying, Lord, I, I just don't understand because it was all just way over my head. But you know, as time went on, sometimes years, sometimes 20, 30 years later, I'm studying the scriptures and something I heard that I didn't understand then, suddenly it comes back. And I look at the scripture and I remember what, they, what he said there. And God by his spirit has helped me to bring that back and has taught me, and, and the, remember the Old Testament says, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so what I fill my mind with comes through the senses, and it will shape me. And that's why uh, Romans says that we need to be transform, transformed through the renewing of our minds. How do I renew my mind? by the things that I allow into my, uh, into my uh, mind through the, um, through, through the senses. All right. So, let's speak about the... Uh, let me just see how we're going. Got a few minutes. Let's talk about the soul. Now, the soul consists really of three parts, and I'm not going to get into all the, 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 the technical things, but there is the emotions, the will, and the mind. The emotions, the will, and the mind. Now, I think we understand those. I don't have to explain them. The emotions are the feelings that we have. Good feelings, bad feelings, feelings of love, hate, anger, uh, all of those kinds of things. The will is really a very important part because it is the will that ultimately determines what I'm going to do. It's the will that has to make the decisions about whether I'm going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And so the will really is where the decisions are, are being made. And then, of course, the mind. Now... The mind consists of two parts, thoughts and intentions. Is there a scripture for that? Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is a sharp and two-edged sword and it is able to divide between bones and marrow, 
the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Okay, now here's, a, here's another complication. The word mind, or the word heart, and I, I don't really want to go here, but I, I need to because you may be asking that question. The word heart sometimes refers to the soul and sometimes to the spirit. Sometimes it just de deals with the mind. And it's very difficult, and that's one of the reasons why people believe that there's only two parts, because of the use of that word uh, the, of the heart. Uh, but uh, it, it mostly refers to the mind. And so let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God, verse 12, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Thoughts and the intents of the heart, which is really the mind. Now the first thing you need to see is the point that he is making there is the, the preciseness of the Word of God. The Word of God is able to divide between those things that we are not able to divide in the natural. And so he speaks about the bones or the joints and the marrow. There's a part where the marrow and the, and the bone is easily separated. But there's another part in the heads of the bone where the two merge together. And it's impossible to say where is the marrow and where is the bone. But the Word of God, now, of course, the Word of God is not a scalpel to be used for medicinal purposes. But he's illustrating the point that the Word of God is so accurate and so precise that it's able to separate right in there. And it's able to separate between the soul and the spirit. So clearly, Hebrews 4.12 says there is a difference between the soul and the spirit because the Word of God is able to define the difference and is able to cut in between those two things. And he's able to cut between the thoughts and the intents or intentions of the heart or of the mind. So the mind then has these two parts, thoughts and intentions. Now what does that mean? Well, thoughts are just thoughts, random thoughts. Think about this, think about that. As the old Negro said, sometimes me sits and me thinks, and sometimes... Me just sits. But the thoughts are just thoughts. But some of those thoughts translate into an intention. And the intention activates the will. And that results in a action. And so some of the thoughts may result in good intentions and some result in bad intentions. David, instead of going to war, sits in his palace, sleeps all day, and there's a wonderful lesson about not sleeping during the day, sleeps all day, and he gets up in the cool of the evening, this time of the day, or a little earlier, and he walks around and he sees Bathsheba. And a thought pops into his head. Now at that point, is it sin? No, it's just a thought. But in a split second, 
the thought translated into an intention. And the intention became a decision of the will. I'm going to do this thing. And that decision becomes an action of the body. And he begins to do what he shouldn't do. So you can see how that... that but, but in the same way, God deals with us in his spirit. And so God speaks to us and he brings thoughts into our minds. And we'll deal with the process tomorrow night. Brings thoughts into our minds. But we need those thoughts to be translated into intentions. But good intentions, what do we say about the road to hell? It's paved by good, with good intentions. So the intentions on their own aren't always good enough. The intention needs to result in a decision of the will, which means to result in action. And so, three frogs sit on a lily pad. Two frogs decide to jump off. How many frogs are left on the lily pad? I've given you the answer. This is a test. How many are left? Three. Ah, they decided they didn't do it. They decided, but they didn't do it. So it was an intention, but it didn't translate to a decision of the will. And of course that's why uh, Billy Graham uh, changed the language uh, that he would speak about it early on in his, in his ministry, and I'm not speaking to or for or against him, but at the beginning of his ministry he would speak about converts. And then he changed that to decisions, because he recognized this principle. People may have made a decision, but the decision may not have been translated into action. And so, when, and obviously, when sin has conceived in our hearts, it brings forth sin when it produces action. All right, so, so th let me see. I think that's where we need to um, stop. We'll answer some questions, and then, um, yeah. So, I, I know that this sounds very, very difficult, but please bear with me. This is just a foundation for where we really want to go. Uh, in understanding how all of this happens and works within our minds uh, and in our hearts. So I'm quite happy to answer questions if we have time. Yes, Brother Gary. I, I, well, obviously Christians are dis disagree on that, but I don't believe that the devil has access to, to our souls. Or, or, or to our direct... Hmm? God. Yes. The devil can't. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just uh, on the basis of the, um, of the finished work of the cross and that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, uh, that Christ now, or the, that the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to deal with that, uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Um, and, the, you, know, is there, you know, can the devil have access to that which is now under God's domain and where, where God is living? Um, and for the same reason, and again, I know there are difference of, differences of, of opinion, for the same reason I don't believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed because he is, uh, he is possessed by the Lord, uh, so to speak. Um, and so, 
Um, and, and I think the, the, this concept for me is important, and if you have a different view, that's fine. Um, but uh, the, this concept that the devil cannot speak directly into my mind, uh, to me, is important. Because, because so many times when Christians sin, they say what? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. There, there, there's a famous, and I don't remember who the guy was, American comedian. Many of you may have seen, uh, may have seen this. Uh, the, the, the wife comes home and she's bought a new dress. You, you know the story? Yeah, and so she, she says, you know, I, I just walked past and the devil made me look. And the devil made me go inside. And the devil pulled a gun on me. And he made me buy it. No, the devil made me do nothing. We sin when we are drawn away by our own lusts. And I think it's important for us to accept responsibility for our own sin. And, and victory comes when we accept that responsibility. But if we're going to do what Eve did, it's the devil. He made me do it. He, it's his fault. No, Eve, you're responsible you made that, uh, that decision. So, and then the other reason why this is important to me is because uh, it, it speaks of the, uh, the absolute importance of me guarding the gates to my soul and not looking at things, not listening to things that the devil can use to discourage me, to tempt me, to uh, get me frustrated and angry or all that, whatever he's trying to do. And he's, he's, he's able to do those things very, very well through the things that, that, I, that I see and hear and taste and touch and so on. And so uh, there, there is then a, a tremendous responsibility on us to watch what we, what we see, uh, to make, be careful about what we listen to. And, and even when we see something um, and... Um, um, I, I think we, I'm going to speak at, at the other church about um, there's a men's meeting and we're going to speak about purity uh, for men. And, and one of the principles that, that we teach men is to bounce your eyes. Now, w simply what, what that means is when you see something and you know you shouldn't be looking, you have to immediately bounce your eyes, look somewhere else. Because the longer you look, the greater the chance the devil is going to use that to get to, your, get to your soul. And so we must protect our eyes. We must protect our ears. Because in doing that, we protect our souls. Other questions? Um, yes, he can attack the body, um, but not whenever he wants to. And of course, we have two prime examples. The one is Job, of course, where uh, he, he, he is able and God gives him permission to deal with the body, but not to touch his life. Um, and then uh, Paul speaks of a thorn in the flesh. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about what the thorn in the flesh is, but he says what it is. It's a messenger of Satan. What is a messenger of Satan? It's a demon. And he is sent to buffet him. Now, what shape and form that buffeting took, we don't know whether it was in a physical infirmity or in malaria or some other problem that he had, but clearly there was a demon beating him up. 
and clearly the demon was beating up his, his body. And so I do believe the thorn in the flesh for Paul was a physical thing, uh, whatever shape or form that took. But, and, and it was particularly... And, and one of the forms in which that can, could be, and I know we're right in another area now, but uh, is, is that wherever Paul goes, there's trouble. And he gets beaten up and he gets stoned. And you remember he gives that list that he shipwrecked so many times. Um, and, and, and so uh, one of the possibilities is that what this demon is doing is wherever Paul goes, he's stirring up trouble for Paul. And he's, that's causing Paul to be beaten up and thrown into prison and, to, you know, and, and to, to have all of these experiences. So I do believe that, uh, but, but it can never be without God's permission. I don't believe that the devil has carte blanche to attack Christians just whenever he chooses and feels like it. No. Uh, you see, I mean, this is, a, this is again a very difficult thing and a thing that I personally struggle with in terms of, because, because there are times when it is an attack of the devil. You know, every time I go on a trip I get sick. Um, and, and I'm not sure, I, I don't know the answer. Is it the devil? It can be the devil. But it can also be the Lord. You see, and so the same thing, sickness particularly, can be of the Lord, because uh, clearly in Corinthians, wherefore many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, that's the chastening of the Lord. But then there are other times when sickness is just an attack of the, of, of the evil one. And so it's very difficult for, personally, I find it very difficult to, 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 to know which is, which is which. And sometimes it helps, and that's why in James it says, if, if any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. And you'll see there's a connection there between praying for the sick and confessing of sin. Um, and, and remember that in that context, the elders don't pray for the healing, but pray for the sin, and then the healing comes. Um, it's a... It's a a complicated uh, passage, but clearly there's a connection there between between sickness and sin, uh, because if he confesses the sin um, and the calling of the elders, and I believe that in that passage the purpose of the calling of the elders is for the brother to say to the elders, uh, I'm sick. Uh, it's an unnatural thing. I've taken aspirin and it hasn't helped me, and um, you know I, I don't know what it is. And for the elders then to examine the brother with his heart with him. And sometimes, as an elder, I can see from the outside. And, and I can see this person is being disobedient and God is actually speaking to them. And they're not listening. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to say, but God's trying to speak to you. And he's trying to speak to you about this or that. I believe that that's the context of the elders praying for the sick. Um, or the elders can say, look, you know, we, we, no, we, we see your life, you're upright, you're, you're really living a godly life in every respect. We believe that this is an attack of the devil and we'll, we'll, we'll pray accordingly. But, but yeah, it's the same thing, but different causes and, and, and uh, we've got to be very careful because every, you know, as, as, yeah, some Christians, yeah, everything is the devil, everything is the devil. No, it may be the Lord who's, who's using those things to, 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 to discipline us or to get our attention. All right. Um, I'm going to answer that tomorrow, but let me answer very quickly, and that is that, uh, first of all, when Paul says, I bring my body un in subjection or under control, obviously the body has natural desires, which are uh, not really connected to the soul. 
which if allowed to do what my body just wants to do, I'm going to, I'm going to sin. So the body cannot be allowed to do whatever it wants to do. You know, I can't sleep as long as I want to sleep or drink as much or eat as much as I want or, you know, all, all those kinds of things. The, the problem here, the complication here is, uh, and, and, and the, the scripture you mentioned in Galatians really is the key. And maybe if we go there very quickly, um, and uh, this will be a good introduction to a point that I'm going to make later. Galatians 5, sorry, Galatians 5 and verse 19. For the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, and so on. Now, look at that list. So he's saying the deeds of the flesh are these things. Adultery, that's in the body. But is it only in the body? Jesus says a man who looks upon a woman has already committed adultery. Um, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. These are things in the body. But then the list changes. Hatred contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Are those things in the body? No, they have to do with the mind. They may be expressed in the body, ultimately, but they are really states of mind. So, to give you the short answer, which I'll, exp uh, I'll go into more detail tomorrow, is that when Paul speaks about the flesh... He is not just speaking about the body, but it is the, it is the, the, it is the, the body which is uh, controlled by a carnal mind. And so the carnal mind controlling the body results in a fleshly Christian or a carnal Christian, not just the body on its own. And the same a spiritual, and this is jumping right ahead, so really what we want to see is the spirit in control, and if the spirit is in control, and if the soul and the body are executing the will of the spirit, I become spiritual. So I'm carnal if my fleshly desires are in control. I'm spiritual when the spirit is in control. So when Paul speaks about the flesh or about the body, it does not only mean the body, the chunk of meat but it is that body which is under the control of a carnal mind. And that's why he uses that term in a number of places. To be carnally minded, Romans 8, is death. Um, now I know that this, is a, th this may be a, a totally new thought for you, but if you go back and examine wherever Paul used that, you'll see that the sins of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, not just in Galatians but in other places, are not just things that happen in the body. There are things that happen in the, in the emotions and things that happen in the mind. So things like um, envy, lust, um, heresies as he lists there, uh, covetousness, these are all things that have to do with the, that have to do with the mind. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I agree with you. 
my flesh does not have, my body does not have a mind of its own. My body only does what my mind tells it to do. If my body is doing its own thing, then I am... Um, yeah, well, we, 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 we speak about, and, and really, I, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but we speak about people, and I don't know what the politically correct term, someone who is spastic. What is that? There's a disconnect between the body and the mind. So the body does whatever it wants to do, and the mind cannot control the body doing those things. But the person who doesn't have that problem, the mind controls the body at all stages. So my, my, when, my, when my body lusts, or my body um, eats too much, it's not my body, it's my mind. And that's why you'll see that diets and, and, and you know, these kinds of things, they deal with the mind, your, your, your attitude. And so, so they, they'll, they'll tell you what you need to do is take smaller helpings. Now, what's the purpose of smaller helpings? It's to, it's to deal with your mind. Um, you know, so, so, so the body in itself doesn't have a, doesn't have a mind of its own. It, can't, it doesn't do its own thing. Hmm? Yes, it, it is. And, and even if it isn't premeditated, even if, you know, even if there are strong physical urges, and we do have strong physical urges, but we are not an animal that just does what it wants to do. We do have a mind, even the unbeliever has a mind that can control that body. I mean, you know, if, 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 if that was true, then, you know, I mean, people would just be run, walking down the street and shooting one another. I mean, they do that anyhow, but uh, you, 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 you see what I mean. I mean, just, you know, just raping and killing and destroying and... and, and but the, 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 in the rational being, not even talking about a Christian, but in the rational human being, the, the body is under the control of the, uh, of, of the mind. And so when, when my body sins, I can't say, well, my body did it. My, my mind did it. That's really where the, where the problem is. Yeah, sinful nature is another term. Yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. Yeah, and, and notice it's the fruit of the spirit. So it's it's really you know what 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 is what is controlling my body? You know, is, is it is it my my carnal mind? Or is it a spiritual mind? Do you comprehend ten verse five says, "Take captive every thought that comes against the knowledge of God." Yes. Ten captivity into the obedience of Christ. Yes. As a Christian, we must do that every day. Yes. Because there is a battle, there is a spiritual battle. That's right. Yeah. So, two Corinthians ten verse five. Yeah. So very good, very good scripture. The problem with that verse is that most people say that that is doing battle with the devil. It's got nothing to do with spiritual warfare with the devil. It's the war right here in our minds. And, and so every thought needs to be brought under, under control, into captivity. Uh, you can't let your thoughts just run away. 
Um, and all of us have that problem. I have a problem with worry. I wake up in the middle of the night and I worry. I worry about the people who are falling away and people who are sinning and, and problems in the church. And my mind runs away with me. But Paul says, no, you've got to bring those thoughts under control to the, into the obedience of Christ. So every thought must be brought down to being obedient to Christ. All right. Amen. Yeah, last question. Yes. Ah, good question. The question is, can the, does the devil speak to the mind of the unbeliever? I'm not sure. I've actually never thought about that. Um, I think there's a very real possibility that he does. Clearly an unbeliever can be possessed by demons. Um, that, the, that the devil has access to the, uh, to the mind of the unbeliever. I think that that's a very real possibility. You know, of course, the, the biggest problem is that, is that the spirit is not active in the unbeliever. And so there's no counterbalance to whatever goes on in his, in his mind. Um, and, so, and so even if the devil doesn't have direct access to him, whatever the devil is able to feed into his mind uh, through his uh, senses is not counteracted by the Spirit. And so it invariably leads to sin. Yeah, very, very good point. And, and I think that just you know, sparks the thought in my mind that when you go back to Eve, you know, how did the devil tempt Eve? He didn't get inside of her, but he spoke to her and he showed her the fruit. She saw that it was good to eat and, of course, she heard the argument. And then the same in the temptation of the Lord Jesus. The, 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 the temptation with the Lord Jesus is an external one. You know, he shows him all the kingdoms, so he's, he's using the... I've got, taken it off, but he's using the, 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 the eyes, shows him the kingdoms of the earth, and he co tries to convince him through what he says. And, and, you know, I, I think that, that we underestimate how powerful the devil is or how persuasive the devil is. I mean, you know, if, if you just, you know, I, I think that we don't even understand how powerful the, 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 the advertising industry is to change our whole perception on things. It's all based on belief, which is based on, on communication. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you got to, or you got to have a new wife, or yeah. So, so <laughs> but but yeah. So 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 the, you know the the point I'm trying to make is that if the advertising industry is that powerful, the devil is far more powerful than the advertising, and he has powers of persuasion that we don't even begin to understand until we begin to understand um, our own propensity for certain kinds of sins. And, and how just, a, just one thought, you know, just one seeing something for a moment can set off a series of thoughts that can...